Sorry, we didn't give you a lot of time for this. Thank you. Welcome those of you who are online and just joining us now. Thanks for your patience. Um, can you hear us? Um, just a reminder both to those who are online and those who are here that we are doing communion today. So if you are here and you have not yet picked up one of these, um, they are at the back door there. We are going to um, do communion in the middle of the message, so you're going to want to get that. I do have a few um, wafers up here that are gluten-free. These taste like it, but they are not. So please, um, if you do if you do need that, there are, there are some up here at the front. Feel free to come get one of those. Lord, we have not just been singing about you this morning, we have been singing to you. And we have been singing, worshiping one who is here among us now. We don't offer prayers and worship to someone distant, but to the one in whom we live and move and have our being, to the one who inhabits the praises of his people. The one who says, I call them friends, to the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the God we worship, and we say, Thank you, Lord. We love you. The king is in the building. Hallelujah. What a good thing that is to be here in your presence among your people as you move and work. Thank you for the privilege of joining you. The privilege of knowing you and being known by the only somebody in the world. The only one who is anyone. The only person who says somebody knows me by name. Thank you so, so much. Lord, as we open your scriptures this morning, you have already sent us to John and confirmed that so many times. Lord, would you, would you continue this morning to confirm your word to us and, and once again make the word flesh? Put it into us, put yourself into us, and, and plant your word down deep so that it gives life. And so that we, as your disciples, hold on to the truth. Because if we hold on to your teaching, then the truth will set us free. And we want to be people who are free. Lord, this morning, have your way among us. We offer you ourselves. You give up all of yourself. You already have. We are here to learn from the interest Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone give me a definition of nostalgia. Lydia, okay. Growing up, or something that reminds you something. Yeah, it's pointing back to the past. That's right. Yes, nostalgia points you back to the past. It, it, nostalgia is an excessive longing for the past. It comes up every Christmas time, right? Christmas is the season of nostalgia, right? And um, you know, whether that's a good thing or not is irrelevant at the moment. But nostalgia is this longing for better times that were. 
right? We're, we're uncomfortable with the present and we long for times that were. I, I would like to suggest to you, based on our passage, um, but also based on theologically, that nostalgia is actually very dangerous for a person and especially for a church. This, this longing for what was, because God is not in the past. We're going to get to that in a moment. Would you go to John chapter 2 for me, please? We are coming to one of what I think is one of the most beautiful stories in all of scripture. And every time I come to something that seems excessively beautiful to me and wonderful, I, I come with fear and trepidation that I'm simply going to ruin it, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to come close to how, um, I'm not going to approach how good this is and, and actually be able to share it in the way that it, it grabs me. Um, so there are going to be things in this passage here that I'm simply not going to touch on. And they're, they're going to resonate so deeply with you, and I, I'm sorry if I don't get to it. But it there is more here than I can share. That's simply part of this passage in particular. There, is, there are more good things in John 2 and this wedding at Cana than I will possibly be able to touch on. Uh, so I bless you to take what you, you what the conversation here and continue it this week with the Lord and then ask him to show you more. Because we have talked about, especially in the Gospel of John, there are layers upon layers upon layers of meaning that he has for us. And simply a read-through or simply one sermon on it is not going to touch on every day. It's simply not going to exhaust God's word. We never exhaust God's word, but in particular, this passage, um, there's more for us, whatever is said at this point, okay? So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Excuse me, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have the wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Jesus now said to them, now draw them out and take it to the chief steward. This is the person in charge of the wedding. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the wine that had, excuse me, tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the groom over and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we get to nostalgia and get to wine, I want to take, I want to look first at the interaction between Jesus and his mother. Okay? 
my, one of my family members uh, took the precedent of Jesus interaction with uh, mom here and started calling my mom woman. And uh, it did not go over well. Um, you you take that up between you and the Lord. Um, whether or not Jesus is your example in this case. Um, but it's not an immediately endearing interaction. You, it, it, have you watched The Chosen? How many of you watched The Chosen? How many of you don't know what The Chosen is because I've mentioned it numerous times and I've watched The Chosen? Do any of you not know? Okay, The Chosen is the one great person, probably more here if you don't know. The Chosen is um, uh, a television show, but it's on an app. Okay, so you can download this for free. Um, and they are they are making the life of Jesus. They're trying to cover all of the scriptures. Um, so they have, and, and so they're on the episode three right now. And I have to tell you, I I have never liked Jesus movies. Um, but this is not cheesy, but it is extremely well done. And I found that the Jesus, the interpretation of Jesus, the presentation of Jesus and the children have become one of the most endearing pictures of Jesus to me that I have ever seen. I highly recommend you watch the show. We're actually watching right now with our kids again. I've watched the, the seasons that are available. My kids are even enjoying it. Uh, but I enjoy this as adults as well. I highly recommend that you check this out. It's free. You can download it on your phone. It's just an app. Okay. Um, if you're watching the chosen, you notice how they interact with their parents, right? Fathers are Abba, you knew that. Mothers are, what do they call mom? Ima, right? They call her Ima, that endearing term for mom, right? It's not woman, right? So there's a little bit of distance being put up here as Mary comes to Jesus and Jesus responds with woman. It's not exactly disrespectful. But at the same time, it's not exactly drawing her in either. Now, I want you to notice, I, I want to give you a tool that you, I want you to take with you to every single conversation Jesus has with someone in the Gospel of John, but in every passage of Scripture where Jesus interacts with someone. Let us remember that when we see Jesus, we see God. Okay? When we see Jesus, we see God. So when we see Jesus interacting with someone, we see, G we see God interacting with someone. What do we typically call interacting with God in our lives? Prayer. Okay. So every time you see Jesus have a conversation with someone in Scripture, you need to apply that to your own personal life. Okay. This is one of the potential ways that the Lord interacts with me as I am praying. Notice how the Lord interacts with someone who deeply loves him and needs his help. It's not actually come a little closer. It's a little bit of a, you know, my hour doesn't yet come, woman. Think about that. Think about your own personal life. Think about the interactions that you have with the Lord, and sometimes you put something out in prayer, and what you feel like is I'm getting nothing back. I don't feel like the Lord's taking this seriously, or I don't feel like I've really been heard yet, or I don't feel like my need is being answered. Sometimes God may actually put up a little bit of a hold up, hold up. But what's the purpose? Purpose. 
is to see if you will press in. Because what does Mary do? What does Mary do? Look at the passage. See this for yourself. Look at the passage. Too many people looking at me. Look at the passage. Look, look down. Look at the passage. What does what does she do? He says to her, woman, my hour hasn't yet come. She's not getting the response that she needs. Her prayer has not been answered. So what does she do? She calls the servants. And what does she say to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. In her interaction, in her prayer life with the Lord, what she is showing us is that you can put God in a position to act. You give him the freedom to act. Do whatever he tells you to do. This is an example of our prayer lives. Okay, so sometimes as you present a request to God and you know, I need this, and I know your heart for this, I know your heart for this, but in a position to act, press in, don't stop. I want you, we are going to talk about this a lot more because we have a lot more conversation between Jesus and people that do conversational gospel out of all of them. Right, so we're going to see this over and over again. Every time you see Jesus interact with someone, it is an example of the ways God interacts with his people in prayer. Take that with you, it will change your prayer life. It will change your prayer life. She puts him in a position where he can act with complete freedom. In other words, he can say no, do whatever he tells you. And he might tell them, go sit down. Right? But she has entrusted that now to him. But she gives him complete freedom in it and puts him in a position that still up to him. She's not strong arming him, but she's saying, I have seen your heart. I know it. I make everything available for you to do whatever you would like to do. If this in the prayer loves. You will see what change things. As a side note about prayer, we're going to spend the rest of this, the message looking at what's all this with the line. Okay. In order to do that, we need to talk a little bit about their culture. Jewish culture had what's called an honor and shame culture back then. Okay. We don't have an honor and shame culture. We are the exact opposite in our, our culture. I call as my first witness every one of those um, you know, talk shows, television shows, where people air their dirty laundry, right? We have the exact opposite of an honor and shame culture. They have a high, high honor and shame culture, which means we always want to save face. We always care about how we are presented. We care about our reputation in the community status um, and making sure that someone is honored is incredibly important and the worst possible thing you could do is shame someone. The wine ran out of the wedding. I know some of us that have dry weddings, 
right? A dry wedding can sometimes be uh, perfectly socially acceptable for us. Some people have alcohol at their weddings, some people do not. There are, we have our own cultural reasons for that. I've never heard of alcoholism, right? Um, so we have our own reasons for that. Um, so whether you attend a wedding and why you're not, might, might just be completely indifferent to you. Um, for, for wine to run out at this wedding is an incredible like, catastrophe, right? It, it means that if, if word gets out that the wine has run out at this wedding while they are still in the middle of celebrating, this will essentially be the family known as the dry wedding for, for generations to come in their small village, right? You're talking about generational shame that will happen to this family as a result of this event. Is incredibly significant to them. Okay. Um, the Babylonian Talmud is um, uh, a recording of the rabbis' teachings in this time period. So Jewish rabbis in this time period and extending afterwards. And they used to say that there is no rejoicing except with wine. It's not a celebration yet if you don't have wine. So if the wine runs out, the celebration is done. You following that? Different culture. Now I want to compare an Old Testament miracle to this New Testament one. Do you remember the, the miracle of Elisha meeting a woman who's um, who's in debt? And he says to her, what do you have in your house? And she says, like a small jar of oil. And he says, go get every vessel of oil, uh, vessel that you can find, every jar you can find from all of your friends, bring it to your house, and I want you to keep one. And the oil never runs out until they're all full. Okay? That's provision. Right? It's really good provision. He meets her needs. She's able to pay off the debt. She's able to live on what she has. Fantastic. Jesus could have done that. Every person's cup would not run out. Just be pretending to take a sip. A little sip would get replaced. Right? The wine would just continue. No one would have to know what Jesus did. He would know. It's okay. He doesn't do that. There's an Old Testament precedent for that. Doesn't do it. What Jesus does, do, do you have footnotes in your Bible? When it says, um, my translation said uh, 20 to 30 gallons of wine, right? So there's these six stone jars there. They have 20 to 30 gallons in there. Do you speak in these terms? If not, the, the Greek word says measures. Um, 20 to 30 gallons is one estimate. Um, so what does your Bible say? Does it have a footnote that says exactly how many liters this is? 75 to 113 liters per measure, right? Is that per measure? So you have two to three, so 75 times two would be 150 liters of wine, 150 to 225. So you've got, that's only one, right? You've got six. So could you multiply that for me, Joel? In your head. Yeah. You're saying 160. 
close to 800, right? 800 liters, okay? So a liter is more than one bottle of wine, right? A liter is more than one bottle of wine. This is three quarters of a liter, right? So you know the song, uh, the kid's song, 99 bottles of beer on the wall? How about we start singing like 1,200 bottles of beer on the wall? What, what Jesus is showing up with is like 600 bottles of wine for people who have already been exhausting the wine that they had. 600 bottles of this. Would that fill this stage? Okay, so, so this would be like Jesus walking into uh, co-op liquor stores. I live by co-op, so that's where I often go to get this. Um, It'd be like Jesus walking in there and said, I'll, say, well, I'll, I'll take that row and that row and that row. Just give me the whole store. I'm going to take it with me to the wedding. He's going to show up with 600 bottles of wine. So is that provision or is that abundance? That, that's abundance. That, that's overabundance. That's an excessive amount of abundance. I don't even know how many words to describe how big this is. It's absolutely massive. Why? Well, first of all, it's to bless the family so they don't have generations of cultural shame. There's more than that, too. Go with me to Isaiah 25. Flip your Bible open to roughly the middle. Probably hit Psalms or Isaiah. If you hit Psalms, go right. Isaiah 25. Look at verse 6. This is speaking about when the Lord intervenes in um, Jewish history and brings about the Messianic age. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a rich uh, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, a rich of rich food filled with marrow of well-aged wines, strained clear. Wine and the abundance of wine was the sign that God was intervening in a messianic way to bless His people. It was the turn of the age. Look at look at Amos. Chapter 9, Amos will be heard with Bible. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, here we go. We have Matthew, go left. It's the last chapter of Amos. Amos 9, 13 to 14. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when one who plows will overtake the one who reaps. The one who treads grapes will overtake the one who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow forth with the wine. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit, and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat from their fruit. In other words, when God intervenes in their history to bring about the turn of the age, the messianic age, the sign of the messianic age the sign of God intervening 
will be his abundant provision, his abundant, more than provision, his abundant blessing of his people, and a sign of it in particular will be the abundance of glory. I'm not going to read them. You can go to Jeremiah 31 and see that. You can see it in Joel 3, and you can see it in other scriptures as well. The abundance of wine is the sign that the Lord is intervening in history to bless his people. And we have Jesus show up with 1,200 bottles of beer on the wall. Like I said, Babylonian Talmud, so the Jerusalem teaching the Jews, there is no rejoicing except with point to celebration. And the sign of when God breaks in on his people, when God comes to visit his people in a new way who have been oppressed, when God comes to visit his people and introduce himself again and say, I am here to meet you. He doesn't come with a stick in condemnation. What he starts with is a celebration. Do you hear that? What, what God does when he intervenes in the life, life of his people is to start with a celebration. He doesn't come and say, I'm going to set up my course of judgment. It will be that, and it'll come in a few verses. But the first thing he does is start with celebration. That's why we have this. That's why wine is part of the meal that Jesus gives to his people. Did you get these for me, please? I realize holding this is a little bit of a mixed message because this is terrible juice. Yet it points, the whole point of terrible juice is that it points to good wine. It, you know, Baptists are big on this as a symbol, right? So remember, it's a sign that points, right? When, when we take this, we're taking this, if you like wine. Okay? It's the point of it is that when God comes to rescue his people, it is a time of celebration. He comes to smile on you. He, he comes because he wants to celebrate with you. So, friends, could we take his body and could we take his blood in that celebration of the fact that God shows up to celebrate you and to celebrate the marriage that is taking place between God and his people. It's not an accident that this is a way. Right? Because even this, Jesus said, points forward. It points forward to the ultimate way. With the ultimate celebration. Would you take it in celebration of his celebration of you? Remember it's again.
when Jesus drinks water into the wine. The guy in charge of the wine, the wedding, says, everyone serves the good wine first. And then the inferior wine after the guests become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. And what John says about this is that it is a sign. Verse 11, Jesus did, Jesus did this, the first of his signs. Signs point. It's pointing to something. You kept the good wine until now. There's a real danger in our own lives and in a church that we, we, we have a sense of nostalgia and we long for what was. But he kept the good wine until now. What he did in the past was good wine for then. But he's kept the good wine now. It's always a now word. Back then, he would say the same thing. In 1985, he would say, kept the good wine until now. Even in 1985, there was a longing for a life, whether it's the life of the church or my own individual life, or something earlier. But it's always a now word. It is always a now word, my friends. The best is not the past. God's best for you is not in the past. God's best for unity was not in the past. That was good wine then compared to before. It's always a now word. Do you hear this? Does this make sense? Nostalgia will kill the church. Nostalgia will kill you if it is longing for the past because God is not working in the past, but will be working in the present. So we need to honor and bless what God did in the past. It has brought you, it has brought us to the now. But it is in the now that God is working. He has kept the good wine until now. And in 10 years, we better not be looking to now. Because then in 10 years' time, he will have kept the good wine until now. So don't look at your life and go, my best years were. No, your best year is. Because God is pouring out the good wine now. And if we long for the past, we miss what God's doing in the present. If we long for the past, we miss what God's doing in the present. What is God doing in the present? What is the good wine that he is currently pouring out now in your life, in your unity?
I'd like to take, take a moment, give you a little bit of a chance to listen to the Lord and ask him that question. Lord, what are you pouring out now in my life? What are you pouring out now at unity that I need to be more aware of than focusing on my past? Spend a minute asking the Lord that, and then come back and continue. Verse 11. Jesus did this the first of his time in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. What caused the disciples to believe in him? Changing the water into wine. Well done. We talked last week, and it's going to come up a number of times in the Gospel of John, that what God does is regularly do powerful and miraculous things precisely in order that people would believe. In fact, he promises his disciples that he'll do the same things, meaning that I want people to continue to believe, and I want you to do the same things that I do. Um, Noah, do you want to come on up? Last week, Noah shared this. Uh, some of you weren't here, and we're starting tonight. So, um, do you want to just grab that mic um, Noah's been someone who said, I want to take that seriously. I want to see a connection happen between God moving in miraculous ways and people believing. So, have I set you up enough for you to share again what it is that you would like to, to do? Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, we're meeting tonight, um, 6.30 here at the church um, for the first of four um, pre-training um, nights uh, before evangelism out into Red Deer. Um, and yeah, it's just, um, I'm excited. Um, God has continued to reveal more and more about what I think this is gonna gonna look like for us, um, and yeah, I'm just really um, really excited for it. Yeah. And so, recap for us, Mo. You you want to get together? What do you want to train us in? So tonight, our um, theme is identity, which um, yeah, just relates to how um, God has made us and how He's made. Um, non-believers as well and being able to to speak that into them right they've never heard um you know that they're they're wonderfully made by by god um and so speaking that into them um is incredibly loving and yeah so that's what we're doing for tonight and then after that hearing god's voice and uh, evangelism and personal testimonies. Um, so yeah, these weeks are just going to be um, probably a little bit uncomfortable because you're going to have to put yourself out there um, as we do it together with whoever's there um, because you're going to also have to be doing it to other people. You have to be vulnerable um, in this and it's not easy, but um, when you do people will recognize like, okay, this is someone who's different. Like God is clearly doing something in this person's life where they're willing to share with me. And um, yeah, then they receive, um, yeah, they receive Christ easier in that way. Okay. So Noah's vision is that the, the people would believe, right? And what he's taking it back to is scripture and saying, Jesus did this the first of his signs, and his disciples believed. He, he's, he's saying, I want to be able to hear God's voice, to pray over someone, and see them believe, see them be healed. I want to, I want to hear God's voice so that I can speak something into their lives that the Lord wants them to hear, and that they might believe. This is, this is an audacious task. It's an impossible task unless the Lord confirms his word. Is the Lord good for his word? Uh, when we were at the, stay here, okay? When we were at the Power and Authority weekend, so you remember when Robbie came here, some other people were sharing their testimonies up front from his, uh, from his team. Christy also was from his team. She was, uh, um, lived in Lacombe. They've now moved down to be um, part of his team full-time in Atlanta. Christy Paulson stood up here, and while she was sharing her story, she prophesied over this church. She said, this church will leave the city in outreach, and abundance will be given. Do you see the connection between what we just read here, this, and this, and this? This church will leave the city in outreach, and abundance We'll be given. 6.30 tonight. All are welcome. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for someone who has shown us that we can take you at your word and follow your example. So Lord, would you make us people who, who do not long for the past, though we honor what you have done in the past and with whom you've done it. You have, we bless them, Lord, they have, they have shepherded us to this point, and yet you are pouring out new wine into this moment. We, you have kept the good wine until now. I pray for the good wine to be poured out tonight. I pray for the good wine to be poured out in Noah's life. I pray for the good wine to be poured out in the lives of people that, that he and others will interact with on the streets and say, you know, Jesus actually has a word for you. You, you need to know who you are and how much he loves you. you, you we're going to pray for that need right now and see you get healed because the Lord is providing abundance. Lord, would you show us how to receive and steward abundance in order that, just like Jesus, these signs would accompany and people would believe. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'd like the worship team to come on up. You stand with us to close in worship. And God, as you go from this place, Father, we, we want to see what you have for us. What are you pouring into our lives? As you sing these words, Father, you've called us out of the grave, out of those things that can entangle us, Father. And you're just calling us into glory. Father, what do you have for us? Show us to us. Our ears are open. Our eyes are open. We put up all those other things, Father, you've taken care of us.
there's abundance waiting for you. If you focus on the new wine God pours out, you will receive it. And you will see people believe. You will see that happen. Focus on the new wine. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, my friends. Blessings in the week. So be here.